Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the College Age Movement Podcast. We are in part three of our series entitled The Minor Prophets. And last week, we talked about the prophet Joel, uh, which isn't necessarily a book of the Bible that all of us spend a lot of time in. But we talked about how the heart of God always allows us to return. That no matter the distance, big or small, no matter the mess up, no matter uh, if you returned yesterday, you can return again to get today. That we have a God who is always looking for us to return and recalibrate and reset with him. And this week, we're going to talk about the prophet Jonah. Now, Jonah is probably the minor prophet that most of us have heard of, but he might be the least obedient prophet ever yet. Isn't it beautiful that God, from the beginning of humanity, uses the messiest of people to do the work of God? So we did a four-week series on Jonah uh, probably about two years ago, and it was a stretch to fit all all the lessons into four uh, weeks of sermons. So I'll do my best to pull out a couple key things in this one-week sermon as we walk through the story of Jonah. So we'll start right off the top, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, The word of the Lord came to, to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. It's the complete opposite direction. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for, the, for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So the first point this week is there is a cost in the calling. There's a cost in the calling. Whether we want to believe it or not, there is something that is required from us when when God calls us to something. If we say yes to the calling, it will require the cost of us dying to ourselves and serving others and the Lord and the Lord with with everything that we have. That, That would be the cost. But if we say no to the calling of God, the cost could be missing out on all the things that God has for us on the other side of the calling or in the midst of the calling. The cost of running from Jesus isn't the loss of something that we already have. It's often the missed opportunity of gaining something that we don't. The cost of running from Jesus isn't the loss of something that we already have. It is often the missed opportunity of gaining something that we don't. So one of the questions that we're going to have to ask ourselves is, am I running towards the calling of God or away from the calling of God? That isn't just a question to be asked in the big moments of our lives, but daily. We have to intentionally choose to move towards the call of God or intentionally choose to run away from it. And what we see in the story of Jonah is that Jonah does run. He doesn't want anything to do with the call that Jesus has for him. So the second question that we could ask is, well, why do we run? Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's the belief that we're not qualified. And can I tell you today that you never will be qualified to fully do the call that God has placed on your life? Neither will I. But the beauty about following Jesus is that he takes our messiness and all of our insufficiencies and he makes us qualified. So the fear of being unqualified isn't a reason to run from the call of God. Sometimes it sounds risky, but can I tell you that life change will rarely happen without risk being taken. And for some of us, we're stuck And God's calling us to go somewhere else, and it's a risk for us to leave. But if we leave the place that we're in right now, it could be leave the job, leave Billings, leave wherever you're at right now, and go to a different place. That could be the risk that God is asking you to take, or the risk might be staying. That our heart is just like, oh, I just want to go, and I want to get out of this town, or I want to get out of this job, or I want to get away from these people, or whatever it may be. And the risk would be, no, I, I, I think God wants me to stay. 
I think he wants me to, to bloom where I'm planted. I think he wants me to impact the people that he has surrounding me in the job that I'm at, all of those different things. That could be the risk that he's asking us to take. Another reason that we run so often is because it sounds uncomfortable, but growth does not happen in comfort zones. Every single one of us would probably admit that the best moments of growth in our lives is when we were forced outside of our comfort zones. So sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's the, the fear of not being qualified, the fear of it being risky, the fear of it being uncomfortable. But sometimes, as in Jonah's case, it's actually more about pride. And the next point this week would be that pride is a killer of purpose. Pride is a killer of purpose. You see, the Ninevites, they were the untouchables. They were an idolatrous and sinful group, and Jonah didn't think that they deserved to be warned or saved. Jonah allowed his feelings toward a group of people to get in the way of God's feelings towards those same people. Does that sound familiar, right? Like Jonah was a sinner who had an obvious habit of judging other people's sin. That's how we operate so often. When people sin differently than us, we we count it as gross. We count it as odd. We count it as something that, that we just can't relate with. So how could they possibly do that? And Jonah, while he's judging the sin of the Ninevites, is sinning. He's being judgmental. He's being prideful. He's being all of those things. He's being disobedient to God. And yet he has the audacity to judge the city of Nineveh. And I can look at that and I can get angry at it or I can see myself in the middle of it and say, man, I want to be somebody who avoids being a person like that. I don't want to have that mindset of looking at other people's sin and saying, ooh, how, how could they possibly do, do their life like that? How could they possibly live that lifestyle or treat people that way or whatever? All the while I'm sinning in a different way. So could we be people who avoid that at all costs to not judge the sin of other people just because it's different than ours? So Spark notes, Jonah goes on the boat. God sends a storm. The, the, the crew is terrified. The storm's uh, threatening to, to topple the entire boat. The crew decides to cast lots, and Jonah gets thrown overboard because they cast lots, and he goes, yep. They land on him, and he goes, yep, that's me. My God's doing this because I'm being disobedient. They're, he says to throw him overboard. And, and I don't know that many of us see this in the story, especially growing up as kids, but Jonah's giving up. He's not throw he's not saying throw me overboard because I think that God's going to preserve me in the belly of a whale. He's saying throw me overboard, kill me. I'm done. I've been disobedient. I don't want to do what God's asked me to do. I'd rather die. I would rather you throw me over the ship and I will die and just end it here. So they throw him overboard, Jonah not knowing what's about to happen. The crew starts worshiping God because the storm goes away. And what I love about this part of the story is that God doesn't miss opportunities. Jonah was running from the call of God. Jonah runs to this ship to a crew of people that he wasn't supposed to be around. And yet they end up worshiping God because of Jonah's disobedience. See, God does not miss opportunities. God will lead people towards him even in our disobedience. So... Jonah gets thrown over, he gets swallowed by a large fish, in the belly of the whale he repents, he's then spit up on dry land after the third day, which may be a little bit of foreshadowing to a guy named Jesus that we all love. And so we see in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, God speak to Jonah again, and it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. So the next point would be this, expect God to call again. One of the coolest things about God is that he makes a habit of not giving up on us or on the call that he has for us. 
I don't know about you, but I just don't see God as someone who throws his hands up in defeat. And it's like, well, fine, this guy's unusable. This calling must not be something that needs to happen. I think it's important to know that God is not going to give up on you. It's important to know that he's not going to give up on me or the calling that he's placed on our lives. And I think it's also important to know that God knows a thing or two about timing. When did he speak to Jonah again? Right after the whale. Now, whatever your whale may be, know that God might just ask something of you on the back end of it or right in the middle of it. We all sit in, in these these seasons of our lives where we feel like we're in the belly of a whale. Like We feel like we want to give up. We feel like there's just these moments where we're like, I don't know what's going on, whatever it may be. But God will use our whale moments. Any mountains that are in front of us, he'll move those things so that we can accomplish the thing that he's called us to. And I think that we often see as ironic the things that God sees as divine. It's like when you go to the grocery store and you have been thinking about that person. Oh, I need to text that person. I need to, to contact them. I need to like hang out with them, see how they're doing, check in. And you end up running into them at the grocery store. And you're like, oh, man, that's so ironic. Uh, maybe, but maybe it's divine. Maybe God placed that person at that place at that time so that you don't have any excuses not to talk to them. You see, we need to stop looking at, at the things that set up in our lives as irony and start seeing them as divine inspirations, divine interactions with Jesus, that he is setting us up for success and he's setting us up for the call that he's placed on our lives. You see, when God decides to use situations in our lives to teach us, it isn't only for our own benefit, it's going to be for the benefit of others. Our whale moments aren't just for us, they're for other people. Jonah learned some very important things in the belly of the fish. He did some introspection, he learned about himself, he repented. All of those different things were really, really incredible. But what he learned about himself was going to be even more beneficial for the people of Nineveh. It goes on to say this in Jonah 3, verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So the next point is this, is that delayed obedience is still obedience. Delayed obedience is still obedience. A lot of us struggle with the idea that we already missed our chance to obey God. But can I just reassure you that your obedience does not mean less to God today than it did last year, than it did five years ago, than it did last week. That the beauty of a relationship with Christ is that there is no but he, but she's attached to your life. There's no asterisks. There's no caveats. There's none of that. That when we are obedient, it just brings joy to God. It is always, always, always so valuable to him to see us be obedient. So delayed obedience is still obedience. One of the best things that I get to do as a pastor is I get to baptize people. And I got to baptize a guy when I was an intern, and I will never forget it. It was the second baptism that I was ever a part of. Um, it was the first time I was ever on the mic uh, in the main house. So I was already super nervous to, to even talk and have, you know, a thousand plus people hear me speak. And um, I'm talking to him. His name is Steve. And he just tells me his whole life story. And it's crazy. He's tatted up, like head to toe. He's been in prison. He's just been his life was just crazy. Like his story was amazing. His testimony was amazing. The fact that he had found Jesus was amazing. I was, we got to celebrate together. We got to sit in the back and, and just have a really great conversation. And I remember we get in the tank and it's the last song of worship. And so we open uh, this false wall that's here at the church and so we're sitting in the tank worshiping, ready to, to baptize him. And he just whispers into my ear and he just says, I just feel guilty because I should have done this sooner. And I was so taken back by that because all I could think about was how happy God was for him. But all he was thinking about was the guilt of not doing this, committing his life and, and publicly expressing his commitment earlier. And all I could say back to him was, hey, there's no guilt to be had here. Jesus is so excited about this. 
He's so excited. He's just excited as excited today as he would have been if you would have done this 15 or 20 years ago before you made all the mistakes. And so he starts crying and I start crying. <laughs> the lights come on. I'm supposed to talk on the mic. And I'm like, hey, everybody. I'm just like a mess just talking about my friend Steve and how exciting I was, how excited I was to baptize him. But you see, I don't think there was a, a moment of hesitation in God. I think he was ecstatic about Steve's decision that day. And I think he's ecstatic about our decisions of obedience, no matter how long it takes us to get there. We are messy and we take time and we make excuses and all those different things, but but delayed obedience is still obedience. The delay in our obedience does not make it less valuable to God, but it keeps us from so many promises and joys that God has for us. It's only to our own detriment that we do not obey Jesus immediately. So let us be a people who do not delay and say yes to Jesus today. So, Jonah brings the message to the, the Ninevites. Revival happens in Nineveh from the port of the king. They believe in God. God relents from punishing them because of the message that Jonah brings. And it says that in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. It says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. That's incredible that Jonah brings a message. Jonah brings this message from God warning the Ninevites believe they start worshiping God it says that the king puts on sackcloth they, they they bow down they worship they repent of all the things that they've been doing and God relents and if the story ended after chapter three we would see God's grace and mercy we would see his willingness to turn away from anger but because of our boy Jonah we see humanity come exploding out of the story and unfortunately we see ourselves all too clearly Jonah chapter four verse one says but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. But I would, but I would. Right? That's the next point. But I would give them what is coming to them, but I would judge them, but I would whatever. Jonah was hoping and wishing for the destruction of Nineveh. What is absolutely frustrating to me is that Jonah wished for the destruction over repentance, and I can completely relate with that. That I want people to get what's coming to them. There are so many people in our lives that that we disagree with politically, religiously, morally, or whatever it may be. And too often we hope that they get what they deserve instead of getting what they don't. We hope that they get the judgment, that they, they get all the things that they deserve instead of getting the grace that we have been giving, given as followers of Jesus. You see, we do not deserve grace. We deserve destruction. We deserve the, the anger and the wrath of God, but God relents. God gives his patience and his grace and his mercy and his love to us. So let us not be people who sit in judgment of other people, hoping, hoping that they get what they deserve, but people who understand what they have is grace from God. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we want people to recognize their sins so that they can be afraid of the consequences or because we want them to truly understand the grace and forgiveness of God? Do we want them to recognize their sins so they can be afraid of the consequences or because we want them to truly understand the grace and the forgiveness of God? The story of Jonah ends this way. This is a large chunk of passage. But Jonah chapter 4 verses 2 through 11 says, He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. He's so dramatic. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, it is, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what happened to the city. He was waiting for the destruction of Nineveh. He could not wait for God to destroy them. 
Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. There's that dramatic Jonah again. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He is. He's so justified. It is. It is right for me to be angry about the plant. He said, and I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals. I love that it ends. And so many animals. And that's how the, the book ends. And so many animals. But what he's saying is, it's not about what's earned. It's about what's given. It's not about what's earned. It's about what's given. This is such a perfect picture of grace. Nineveh did not deserve mercy, just like Jonah didn't deserve mercy. Jonah didn't make the plant grow. He didn't do a dang thing. And yet he felt entitled to the shade. Jonah is sitting on a hillside sulking about them getting forgiven when he was the one who needed to be forgiven. And that's so often us that we are sulking at the fact that people have been forgiven for their sin and uh, and their bad behavior. And yet we need to be forgiven for ours. We aren't entitled to forgiveness, but Jesus, Jesus gave us the opportunity anyway. We aren't entitled to our forgiveness so let's not be a people who are entitled. Let's focus on being thankful for God's forgiveness and not becoming people who are keeping score about who's earned it and who hasn't. Because the answer to that would be none of us. None of us have earned the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. It is unmerited favor. It is unmerited grace. It is unmerited forgiveness. We did not earn it. God gave it freely because of his love for us. Let us be people who camp in that. Hey. Thank you so much for tuning in to the College Age Movement Podcast. Again, next week, we have a night of worship here at Faith Chapel. We'd love to have you here if you're in Billings, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, night of worship. That means we won't have a podcast this next week, but we'll be back in a couple weeks with part four of the Minor Prophets.